Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome to our chest, the flagship podcast of sub 10 micron build tolerances. If you can't outdo a Coke can, get out of this company. I'll explain what that means in a little bit. Hi, I'm Neil. I'm your friend. David Pierce is here. Hi. Did you ever wonder what your own build tolerances are? This is like, like you could go down that rabbit hole and it could cause you a lot of existential dread if you let it. Human beings notoriously have absolute shit build tolerances. <laughs> yeah. We are poorly designed and horribly built. <laughs> And honestly, we could do a whole hour on the evidence that we are alone in this world, (laughs) just based on how our knees work. You know, it's like, fine. But on the flip side, uh, we are very good at making things with very tight build tolerances, or are we? Richard Lawler is here to answer that question. Hey, Richard, how are you? (laughs) Hey, the only thing I want to talk about is how the human ACL disproves any theory of intelligent design. See, this is where I was not going, and Richard just, he'd gotten in that (laughs) cyber truck and he drove right off that cliff, just... Pedal to the metal, four wheels spinning, EV drive, triangle in the night. Yes, no, I, I also believe that's true. I mean, it's it's fantasy football season, which means for the next three weeks, everyone is a doctor yeah. and an injury expert. <laughs> it's coming. Uh, it's it's going to be really great. It's coming. Alex Cran's on vacation. Wish her well. But we got Richard, which is amazing. People love Richard. So let's start. There's a, it's it's one of those summer weeks. Like I keep threatening the Verge team with the concept of September. Like we have meetings and I'm like, September is coming. Cause if you just look, once September begins, it is stacked. There's, we, we assume there will be an Apple event. There's a Microsoft event. There's an Amazon event. There's uh, Google is going to court about bundling on search. The, the code conference is at the end of September. It is just relentless. The second September begins, but here in late August, there's just the looming threat of September and then kind of just a grab bag of news, right? Well, that's the thing. This is this is like the biggest change I have noticed over the years I've been covering this is like this time of year used to be dead, like dead, dead, dead. Nothing happened. And we would sit around and be like, have you heard of gadgets from the 90s? Let's make a podcast <laughs> about that. And now it's like what has happened is that every company knows that basically as soon as we get past Labor Day, the news is just like destroyed by the gadget onslaught of the next three months. And so if you have like relatively small news that you like still want to get out in the world and tell people about it turns out like mid to late august is when to do it so there's been like a flood of news it's just that none of it is above like a six out of ten like the (laughs) fact that like python is coming to excel which is like 
a big deal for some people, not nearly a big enough deal to have been as popular on TheVerge.com <laughs> as it has been this week. Wait, no, I disagree with you. Yeah, you're alone on that take. <laughs> you're the one who's who's all in on Excel World Championships. Oh. You had Python to that mix. <laughs> These people have like bionic capabilities now. Oh yeah, no, it's the, the you're going to be able to build a Cybertruck in Excel pretty soon. Like that's just but, where we're yeah, headed. Yeah, on the calendar it says this is a LG briefcase TV kind of week. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. There is some news. Uh, uh, Sony announced the PlayStation Portal. We'll talk about that. Microsoft killed the Kinect again, <laughs> which is pretty good. Their first SpawnCon of the LG suitcase TV has arrived. It's delightful. There's a whole bunch of I wrote about Google and copyright law because quite honestly, I'm an addict. Uh, and that's that's how I get my fix. So we have a lot of stuff to talk about, but I actually want to start with some reader feedback. So we have asked people to send us pictures of their childhood computer rooms, and boy, have you delivered. Like They're so good. These are the best emails we have ever received in the history of the Vergecast. It has been 10 years, and I have never seen the volume or quality of emails like this. Keep sending them to us. We're going to blow them out. We've been posting some of them on social media and on the site and quick posts and stuff like that. But I, I want to do a big blowout feature and just talk about computer rooms because it turns out a lot of people have very fond memories of these rooms and these setups and the photos are just incredible. The one thing I'll say, I would like to see some more diversity in the photo submissions. So if you're thinking about it, just do it. Cause I, I want to show an array of people and how they came up with computers. And right now, probably not surprising. It looks like one class of people. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I, if you're listening to this, you, you even half thought about send us in. Cause I want to show that like, this was a, this was a time, this was a moment. Like we all experienced the same kind of place, which I think is an important thing to, to point out. And they're also, and also the photos are just incredible. I mean, like it's just, it's photos of a bunch of cute kids and then adults talking about what it was like to be a kid with a computer. Like it's incredible. Well, it's super funny to me because like the, there's a generation that talks about like gathering around the radio on a Friday night to like listen to the, you know, War of the Worlds or whatever. And then the next generation like gathered around the TV when the TV was a piece of furniture. And they were like, what the hell do you mean you would like lie on the floor and listen to the radio? That's ridiculous. <laughs> and then there was a generation of people who like had TV or who had computers in their living room for whom that was like a destination and a place. And now the idea of like having to go to a computer is absurd. And it just it just like makes me think like I keep looking around at all of the other gadgets in my house and being like, what of these is like another generation from now going to think is totally insane that this is how it works. Like the idea that you couldn't like fold up your television and put it in your pocket. Like, is that going <laughs> to seem crazy in 20 years? I don't know. But it's like these rooms all have the same vibe. Have you guys noticed? Yes. Yeah. It's like insane. The thing that I noticed was uh, what something that Dan Seifert actually pointed out that Neil asked for pictures of computer rooms. What he actually asked for was pictures of binders. Binders full of paper. Uh, they're everywhere. They are near everyone's computer. We all had them, and now they're just gone. We yeah. Just don't do that anymore. My niece and nephew are headed off to college, and they went to buy school supplies, which is a hilarious thing. Like, you know, they, they did the Target run for your freshman dorm room. And I was like, oh, did you buy Mead five-star notebooks? And they were like, what are those? Oh. And I instantly turned into, like, a stone. <laughs> I was like, no, these are the only notebooks. And I mailed them to them, and they are like, thanks, Grandpa. Like... Whatever. But it is true. Uh, a lot of these photos feature an enormous amount of paper. Anyway, please send us more. We want to blow them out. Just send them in. These are, again, the greatest emails we've ever received. And I don't know why people keep calling them the childhood battle stations. <laughs> this is a theme. There's like emergent behavior inside the email, which is incredible. But it's great. We love it. Please keep sending us photos of your childhood computer rooms. 
with that weird office max wood. I mean, it's just, there's just something great about these photos. Okay. Second update. I also asked for people to send me examples of real world 5g experiences. And the, the one I gave was that if you look at the Taylor Swift eras tour, the network capacity at NFL stadiums is incredible. Like everyone is in the state, hundred thousand people in some of these stadiums streaming video from the Eras Tour. That's a meaningful 5G. Now, is that a consistently reliable 5G? Like, does this happen to people every day? No, but it is kind of, that's it. That was the promise. It was delivered on. That's the only one I can think of. It's also like really good Wi-Fi. I would just, I would just say it's like, even that might be giving 5G too much credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they had just done really good Wi-Fi, maybe they would have gotten there. Yeah. But, it, but it is true that most of these stadiums, massive investments in, in 5G from the various partners of the NFL, mostly Verizon, and it's working. That's great. Like, we, fine. I asked for other ones. We got some that were like, my fr- I have a Pixel on LTE, and my friend has a Pixel that has 5G, and where I live... He has better service than I do all the time, and the LT network is congested, so I'm going to get a 5G phone. And we've gotten a, a bunch of those. I would just say that that is not a 5G experience. That's just your carrier choking you out of your network, so you have to upgrade to a more expensive plan. So that doesn't count. In my opinion, that doesn't count. That's just someone came to your house and, and clipped the ignition wires to your car and said, ooh, I think you need a better car. Like, send me more of those. I, I'm looking for meaningful 5G experiences, not just download speeds but stuff like Eras Tour that could not happen on LT in the best case scenario. The one thing more people have sent me than anything else is a video of a banana getting stitches, like a robot surgery. Like it's a Da Vinci robot. Yeah, no, to be clear, that was a perfect description. Like <laughs> anyone who is like, oh, what is he talking? Like, no, it's just, it's that. Yeah. Like the thing you're picturing at banana getting stitches. So, so there is a very famous robotic surgery device called the Da Vinci robot. If you are someone who's been paying attention to this stuff for a long time, Da Vinci videos are very familiar. Like they all kind of look the same. And it's been around for a long, long time. And so there, famously, there was a meme of one of these robots doing surgery on a grape. And People said they did surgery on a grape. I don't know if you recall this. This was like this was a real meme that occurred on the internet. So everyone is sending me a video. It's the same video, same, it's the same exact kind of video, but it's a banana. And there's a caption on it that says, A surgeon in London did surgery on this banana located in California over 5G. And I have received 50 versions of this video in this caption. I'm not, I'm deep into reporting the story. I will tell you that that is not true. I will break this story wide open. This is the most investigative reporting I've ever done in my life, but I know this story is not true. I'm almost there. But that's not it. It's That did not happen over 5G, I promise you. So this is just not a 5G experience This is somebody bootlegged a video, added a caption, and got views on, on Elon Musk's Twitter. And then it went viral like over and over again in that horrible cycle where people just started writing about a viral thing without ever checking to see if it was true. And now everyone believes in the 5G robot surgery banana. And I'm just here to tell you that shit's not true. And I'm going to win my first Pulitzer Prize breaking this story wide open. You can't stop me. So we had a meeting earlier today and Neelai came on, was like a couple minutes late as Neelai is to all of our meetings <laughs> and was like, sorry, guys, I've been really busy. There's a lot going on. And what he apparently meant was banana surgeries. <laughs> <laughs> we all thought you meant like, you know, the code conference is coming and there's a lot of work to do in summers. And no, you just meant bananas. I will say that I um, I checked one of my inboxes today. I saw I got a notification. It was in the middle of another meeting. 
And I, my immediate thought was, I bet this is the banana surgeon. It was not, but that's where my, at least half of my brain is on banana surgery right now, but I'm telling you, that's not it. There has been a surgery done over 5g in China that has happened. But if you're sending me this banana, I just want you to, the hammer's coming. And by this time next week, I will, I will have broken this story wide open. You won't, you can't stop me. This is, this is what we're here for. <laughs> all right. Speaking of Elon, I, I don't know why this is true. You, you all tell us you don't want the Elon news. And then we look at our own statistics and boy, do you. So we're going to do an Elon lightning round. Richard's going to take it this week. Richard, give us this week in Elon in 90 seconds. Because Elon Musk can't chill. He has been up to things. Let's see. What has he done? He said that uh, Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it might not let you block people anymore. What does that mean? Only Elon really knows. And Lindy Yaccarino, apparently the CEO of Twitter, in case you forgot that he's not the CEO of Twitter anymore. They said that something better than blocking is coming. It sounds like an enhanced mute. Now, can they pull blocking? A lot of people have pointed to the App Store policies from Apple and Google that say that you probably can't. Elon doesn't care. We'll see how that works out. Other things that happened. Uh, they wiped out all the pictures and links that people tweeted before December 2014. Just randomly a thing that included the tweet that was the most retweeted tweet ever. The selfie from uh, Ellen at the 2014 Oscars. It's now back. Some of those <laughs> old images are back. Some of them are not. They said they fixed it and that it'll fix itself over the next couple of days. Other things that have happened. They've said that they're going to remove headlines from news articles. Uh, the DOJ is suing SpaceX for saying that they won't hire people without green cards and not replying to the DOJ when the DOJ asked them to not do that. And Elon <laughs> continuing to tweet that they are doing it, even though they are not supposed to be doing to have that policy. Pretty hard to deny it uh, at that point. We've got more pictures of the Cybertruck showing the inside of it. Elon also emailed all the staff at Tesla and said that parts for the Cybertruck need to be uh, designed and built to sub 10 micron accuracy. Sounds difficult. But they're going to need to do it because if they get it wrong at all, those metal panels will look terrible. And there, there was a thread about, you know, people seeing a carrier loaded full of Cybertruck going down the road that looked really bad. And that might be all of them soon. Also, Elon said that news organizations can get a share of those uh, advertising revenue splits. So, you know, we could get those Elon bucks whenever they show up. Has he done anything else in the next in the last five minutes that I missed? No, that's it. Mercifully, no. <laughs> what's, it, what's great about that is... That was both a lot of things and genuinely actually nothing. Yeah. At least two of those <laughs> things happened and then unhappened. <laughs> and then unhappened. <laughs> that, that's that's ah. just the Elon news cycle. And I promise you, we have a conversation. It's like, are we going to, should we just wait for this to unhappen? And then we get incoming. It's like, are you going to talk about the thing that happened? Revealed preferences. This is the secret to all economists' brains is they say the market will act rationally and they know that when they actually measure people's revealed preferences are, are ridiculous. <laughs> That's Elon traffic. Yeah. Well, and Elon knows that fact better than anybody, right? Like it is, we, we are as guilty of this as anybody. We continue to sit around and be like, Elon says a lot of nonsense. Most of it is nothing. We shouldn't take it that seriously. And then every time he says anything, it's like, oh crap, it's Elon Musk. We should probably do something about this. No, but I'm saying we're in the customer service business here. When, when we start yeah. getting the incoming, it's like, oh, fine. It, what we need is another button on a mouse that's literally labeled hate click. So I can just measure that intent specifically. Maybe we should start adding two links to every story on the, on the front page. <laughs> one is just like regular click and the other one is God damn it. And like, so you can finally measure what what's what. That's the cycle we're in with Elon. I know in my heart that most of those clicks are goddamn it clicks. 
We just need our website to be able to turn on people's microphones so that when you <laughs> click, we can hear you go, ah, and that we register as a hate click every time. All right. Well, this is the, my favorite feature of iOS 17 is the always on tap <laughs> monitoring and the microphone that measures how much you're sighing and despair. But only for the verge. But only for and the we, verge. And we promise to only use your data for good. Yeah. We're, it's, it's all happening locally on device. We're just, we're just me- measuring grunts per <laughs> click. Uh, and then that gets hashed into differential privacy and sent to us so we can figure out how to cover Elon Musk. All right. That's enough, Elon. There's other news in the world of social media that I think is important to talk about. It's hard. It's also hard to calibrate it. Right. And we, we're, we're getting similar feedback here. And this, this is threads, Instagram threads. We're obviously covering threads a lot. It's fun to cover the launch and birth and development of a new social platform, especially one done by Meta, which hasn't done a new one in quite a long time, they're being really transparent about it, which makes it fun to cover. It also seems like they've adopted the very clever strategy of not shipping obvious features, letting people beg for them, and then delivering them like it was their idea. Like It's like if you ran a McDonald's and you're like, we don't have french fries. And then like six months later, you're like, based on overwhelming customer demand, we've launched french fries. No, it would be like if if every time you asked for French fries, the cashier went, oh, what a good idea. We should have French fries. And then six months later, they launched French fries. That's what it is. Like, French fries are very complicated. We have, a, we have a number of thoughts about French fries. We're testing French fries internally. Yeah, exactly. But it's smart because everyone is happy all the time because they're getting exactly what they want, which is clever. So this week, slowly rolling out, I think by the time you listen to this, roll out to everyone, uh, Web Threads is here. And it's pretty bare bones, but it works. It's a timeline. You can post. It seems fine. You can post, but you can't quote post. If you try to True. do it, you'll get a little uh, coming soon message. <laughs> Dunks, coming soon. <laughs> the feature that destroyed Twitter, coming soon. But I don't know if you guys went through this, but I had to change. Like, it wouldn't let me in with my Instagram password because the way I log into Instagram is by logging in through Facebook. And the way I log into Facebook is with, like, a meta account. So I wound up having to change every single one of those passwords all the way up wow. the stack just to be able to log into threads on the web. It was it was a scene. Uh, and now I don't know what my Facebook password is. And I can't reset it because it goes to my Instagram password, which would log me out of all my accounts. It's, it's bad times. I'm officially done with Facebook, I think, forever <laughs> and ever. Uh, but I'm into, I'm into threads on the web. But... I feel like we're still in this position of like existential debate about whether Threads is working. And we went through this weird thing where Threads got, you know, this this record-setting number of users grew really fast and then went back down really fast because everybody joined it, found out it was, you know, it I don't know, it hadn't like solved world hunger all at once and then left because that's what people do when they join these new things. And then the narrative of threads is like a cool vibrant place changed really fast and there was that data that said the installs had gone down and the daily active users had gone down and there are a lot of reasons not to necessarily trust that data exactly but it it does feel like the hype cycle of threads happened in like record time and i'm very curious how you guys think about it right now like is threads working generally i think the answer is no for the most part it does not work it doesn't do a lot of things. Um, a lot, and I think a lot of the discussion about threads, when especially when it launched right after, you had people seeing all these influencer accounts, all these brand posts. And I think there was a lot of discussion and hand-wringing about what does this mean? What is Meta trying to do to the social experience because they want to only show us influencers? And I think the truth was threads really didn't work. It, it just couldn't show you the posts that you wanted to see because it could not work. It couldn't show you the posts of people you follow. It couldn't do anything. 
And they're very slowly, uh, you know, kind of, as you said, as, as Neil, I said, beat by beat, adding small things that will actually make it work. But the people who registered accounts, they're not opening the app because when you open the app, you can't see anything half the time. Half the time, the feed is blank. Um, it doesn't have people you follow. It doesn't have the topics that you're actually interested in. So they actually do need to get some content that's going to get people coming back there. But I think that people should measure their impact and interest in threads with the knowledge that it basically doesn't work. It's barely held together. The app is semi-functional and, and we're start we're starting there. We're starting at the bottom. Yeah, I think a good example was last night during the Republican primary debate, which was a shit show. Just like flatly was a shit show. I mean that if you were a conservative or a liberal and you watched that and you came out with any any takeaway other than, wow, that was a shit show. Like, I don't know what you're doing. Because it was basically just a bunch of people yelling insults at each other, which is prime Twitter material. Yep. Like, most of it, if you just take one step back, take the politics out of it, these people were trying to make tweets. That's what they were doing. Like, they were yelling insults at each other to get the social media clip that went viral that people would tweet about. Like, that is our politics, for better or worse. And like threads was just not capable of generating that work. Like it, it was not happening in real time. I found myself opening X to see what was going on there. And that was really weird because most of the journalists that I follow for that stuff have not paid for X premium or whatever. And so it was like a bunch of weird Bitcoin scams instead. Very confusing top to bottom. Uh, I think threads has that opportunity. They need to build out a bunch of stuff. So a really simple one is right now when you actually make a thread on threads, the replies are downranked, so it it doesn't work as well. And like, I like your your second thread in a line. If you reply to your own, it downranks it. Yeah, and this is something that you know, if you're a, a long time Twitter user, this is has become a very natural way of expressing yourself on Twitter, right? You write one tweet, then you reply to the tweet, and you reply to the tweet, and you get three tweets, and they're kind of all like out in the world doing their thing, getting boosted and promoted, and then people can see the whole thread. On Instagram, it's like the first one gets, and the rest are or they might as well not exist. I know the threads team knows this. They have posted about it and they said they, they want to fix it and make replies and threads first class citizens on the platform. That's the basics beyond even where the button to switch from the for you feed to the following feed is located. It's like, does this algorithm surface all the content or just some of it? And right now it's like just some of it. The moments that threads are, are going to be good for the moment that Twitter is good for was live coverage of things. What is going on right now? Right, Twitter was amazing at this. Event shows, sports, the NFL season is coming. If Threads doesn't have a bunch of features for this upcoming NFL season, if they're not ready for opening day, but that's a huge miss, right? So I, I think they got to they got to rush through it. I think this is why the desktop version is here, somewhat unfinished. Like they know a bunch of NFL beat writers are going to want a place to post at kickoff. They better have a version that works on laptops, like. Even if it's kind of broken, they, they need that thing for that kind of moment. But it's definitely, like to, I think to Richard's point, it's just like not there. Like it's still kind of dead. I think a bunch of reporters and journalists and people who are sitting at work with their laptops, now that they can post on the web, they will start. And hopefully that fixes it in some way. But as of this moment, yeah, it's still, it's still just like waiting to be seen what happens here. Yeah, I think the, the thing that has changed for me is at the beginning of Threads, I mean, really for the last like 12 months, it's kind of been like, okay, there, the debate is Twitter slash X losing its luster, right? And there were a lot of people who were like, yeah, it sucks now. I'm leaving. The platform's bad. It's been overrun by all of the people who say things that 
Elon likes to meme about. It's a disaster. And then there are other people who are like, no, it's still pretty much the way that it is. I think to me, the, you know, Twitter is still Twitter argument doesn't hold at all anymore. No. Like the the thing, the Republican debate is a perfect example of that. Like that platform felt dead in a way that I don't remember the last time it felt dead. And part of it is I'm sure there was stuff happening. I literally can't see it. <laughs> like I don't pay enough money to be able to see that stuff happening. And it's just, there are fewer people, they're posting less, the, the stuff is happening in weirder places. It's being surfaced in less effective ways. Like that platform I think is pretty clearly dying but i don't it doesn't seem like it is sort of one to one and threads the other way right like you would sort of assume that as x drops threads would go up because i think at this point threads is like the leader in the clubhouse to be the next thing if there's going to be a next thing it's sure not blue sky it's it's definitely not blue sky <laughs> Mastodon apparently had a good week like i'm still very bullish on this space as a whole like the open social web is going to be great i wish it were more mature than it already is. By the way, we are trying to get Jay from Blue Sky and Eugen from Mastodon to come to the Code Conference. I'm just putting that vibe in the world. We, we've sent the emails. If you know him, you have a line to him, tell him to come on stage. I, I want to talk about social media with him. Yeah, it'd be good. I'm into it. We will find a way to... to it, code is the same day as MetaConnect, also happening in September. Well, we have some ideas and I'm bringing those, those folks onto our stage. I won't spoil them at this time. What David said makes me think of two things. Um, one thing is, first, I like having like eight different social media apps to open and see different things. It's it's uh, it's cool. When I'm, when I'm sick of TikTok, I can go to Blue Sky. When I'm sick of Blue Sky, I can go to Mastodon. When I'm sick of Mastodon, I can go to Threads. Then I can go back to Twitter and see what's going on. Do you know what I love about this, Richard? I genuinely cannot tell if you're serious. <laughs> oh, I'm, Like, I sincerely don't yeah. know whether you, that was like full sarcasm or earnest honesty. R what is happening right now is that David and I have children and Richard doesn't. And Richard's like, you know what is sick is bar hopping. And both of us are like, we're too tired. That is that is 100% the dynamic that just happened on this show. <laughs> Richard's like, I like waking up on a Sunday and going to five different bars and just checking it. I'm like, I can't. I'm so sleepy, man. <laughs> like, who doesn't just have unlimited time to open every single app on their phone over and over and over again? Is, is that not is that not your experience? Uh, look, I I when I was in Chicago, I was an inveterate bar crawler. I understand, you know, you got drum and bass at one, you got house at the other, and you got to just feel the vibes through the night. Maybe you're gonna link, you know, anything could happen here on this internet. And then you get older, and you're like, I can't be doing this anymore. <laughs> And I think for a lot of people, that is the social media experience of 2023 is like, well, I'm just like, just tell me which one's cool. Like, which one has onion rings? And my friends are going to be there. Like, I'll be at that one. First of all, it's not onion rings. It's free pizza in the back. Like, that's that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, but also, wait, Richard, that was thing one. What was thing two? Thing two is that, yes, it feels like Twitter has been hollowed out. Uh, I, I follow like 7,000 people, which is not the normal experience uh, and always use the the chronological feed. So I kind of see a lot of different communities and how, how people are talking. And a lot of very important voices, like you said, either don't post at all or just don't post on that platform anymore. But there's still people who do. So I think for mo for a lot of people, um, the thing that, has, that they've experienced on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it is that it has always been so bad that if you use it, there's nothing that it could do that could make it so bad that you won't use it anymore. They've, all, they've already run off everyone who isn't an addict. That's fair. So, so the, there's just nothing they can do at that point. Right, but the, and those folks are the most addicted. So getting them to come to Threads and post at the same rate requires that feedback loop, and Threads does not have enough people yet. And that's the chicken and egg problem. And again, I think the, the moments for Threads 
are going to look like NFL season when a lot of people start tweeting the NBA finals award season, like all the live events that Twitter used to capture more presidential debates, election season, all of those moments are moments for this particular kind of social. Like these are not TikTok moments. No one's watching the debate and like opening TikTok to get live reactions. Like you are a psychopath if you're doing that. I tried doing it last night. And I was like, <laughs> I feel like a psychopath. Like this is crazy because it's, it's not there yet. And like, it's too fast. Like these are live vlogs, right? That, that's kind of what you want out of this. We make a lot of live vlogs. Like that's how, I, how I've always thought about this. And Threads isn't quite ready for that yet, especially with its bizarre insistence on the algorithmic feed. And then t- Twitter isn't either. This is the moment Threads kind of has to figure out what it wants to be, right? Because like Moseri and that whole team have been saying all along, they don't want to be a place for politics and a place for news. And it's like, do you know how you become Twitter is by being a place for politics and a place for news. Like you can't have it both ways. The only things that get people that excited are politics and news. And like, I'm defining news broadly as just like things that are happening in real (laughs) time, right? Like the weather is news. And that includes sports. Like sports is news in a very real way, right? Like it's, it is a thing that is happening right now that we all are talking about. Like that's what it is. And for them to say, this is a place for text, but that isn't designed to be this kind of like real time up to the moment thing. I'm just not sure I know what that is. And so it, it does feel like it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like on a football Sunday, because that's a relatively sort of low stakes and unproblematic version of this problem. But this question of like, how do you stay that fast? How do you surface stuff like this in real time as somebody is tweeting a hundred times during or somebody is posting a hundred times during a single game? What is the threads algorithm going to make of that? And how is like, the open question for me about what the next, you know, six months are going to look like. And I just have no idea. I'll give you one very specific example. I have tweeted in my life during any number of Packers games, just the words, oh, no. <laughs> Mostly in relation to Mike McCarthy, but just in general, oh, no. Right. Like in Twitter was very good. It's somehow finding the people who understood what I was saying. That it was, there was a football game going on. I had been tweeting about it. Here's this like totally context-free, oh no, in the middle of a Sunday. And everyone kind of understood what was going on. That is kind of magic, right? That felt like a hive mind moment. Yeah. Like you're in a community, you're all just sort of like chatting in this weird way. Instagram threads right now takes that oh no and like seven hours later delivers it next to like a John Cena tweet. Like that makes no <laughs> sense what is going on there. And that Which is, is classic Facebook. Yeah, and yes. I, and that yes. and they they want to get away from context collapse, and it actually turns out that the chronological feed provides all the context, and so like I think they have to make some big decisions, especially if they want. I get why they're saying they don't want politics and news. Like one, they all personally have bad experiences with that. Adam Masseri ran the Facebook news feed. He has a bad experience with politics and news. I get it. Second, in Canada and Australia and all these other places, the governments are saying you might have to pay for links to news sites. Whew. Like they got to solve that problem. They're not launched in the EU, which is going to have its own weird rules. So I get why they're like, you know what? This isn't, we're not headed straight forward. We're going to start with like fashion, Instagram stuff, but they're just going to quickly arrive at boy when it's Biden and probably Trump in a debate. If you are competitive at all with Twitter, you need that experience to happen on your platform and not Twitter. Otherwise you're just not going to have the volume. You're not going to have the interest and you're certainly not going to have the impact, which is what we have talked about in the show several times now. Meta runs gigantic platforms that make more money than their rivals, but often have no cultural impact. 
And I think yeah. this platform lives and dies on its impact. And we really like, so let's see, Threads launched at the beginning of July, right? And we really haven't had a sort of everybody on the internet moment since then, right? Like there just hasn't been a thing that all of a sudden out of nowhere, everyone was talking about. Has there been one? I can't, like, I can't think of. There was a viral NFT post that went around and that, that was the most. And, that, now and we're I taking think that alone tells Richard's you. talking about viral NFT posts. I'm <laughs> shutting this down. Oh, I, come on. I, <laughs> you need to buy Board Ape Yacht Club. Oh I'll stop. God. This is not investment advice. The first cast is, is not investment advice. advice. It is because right now you're buying low. There's, there's nowhere else to go. All right. There has been one. I'm saying last night the debate should have been one and it wasn't one. Yeah, but we're, we're about to get 18 months of moments where people people care about are going to have to choose which platform they spend their day hammering away on and like the the fight is coming in a really real way and i wonder if threads like even infrastructurally is ready for it i think the web thing is a big deal but there's still like you guys have been saying a lot of work left to do all right everyone we're gonna take a break everyone check on your nft wallets see if richard has stolen from you richard will buy your board apes he told me that right before we started recording click any <laughs> link i send you it's fine all right <laughs> please don't click links from richard we'll be right back support for this podcast comes from canva they say rome wasn't built in a day but you know what you can get built in a day your creative deck you can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we're back. Like I said, a lot of little news this week. Uh, do you want to start with the, the PlayStation portal or do you want to start with all the streaming stuff? Let's do the portal. This is the thing I am most flummoxed by. Uh, and Richard, as the gamer of the three of us, I would say, I'm curious to know, A, you should probably explain what this thing is because I think it's actually harder to explain than it seems like it should be. But then I want you to convince me that this is actually a thing that needs to exist in the world because I'm not sure. I will do that, but I'll start by apologizing because it's basically my fault that uh, everything Sony announced this week <laughs> exists. And oh. I'll, I'll explain. I'm sorry. I did this to the world. I will have to re repay them somehow. 
perhaps in tokens that you could invest in on my blockchain. But <laughs> click every link Richard sends you. So they have introduced the PlayStation Portal. This is something, you know, they kind of hinted at it. They that it said that it was coming earlier this year. It is a screen in the middle of a, a DualSense controller. That's it. It plays PS5 games over Wi-Fi from your PS5. You can't really do anything else. It's $200. You cannot connect Bluetooth <laughs> headphones to it. If you want to use uh, <laughs> if you want to use some wireless headphones with it, you need to buy some of their new uh, audio gear. They have two hundred dollar wireless earbuds. Oh, wait, I just want to underline that means they cost as much as the PlayStation Portal. Yeah, like your yes. full kitted out yes, price for a portal and headphones is four hundred dollars because it doesn't have Bluetooth. At least you know three fifty if you want the 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 cheaper crappier headphones. But it's it's I want to come back to PlayStation Link because I think it is preposterous. I just <laughs> but, wanted to underline yeah, that. price. Yes. Yeah. The reason why you can't just use your regular headphones or perhaps Sony's other headphones that they uh, introduced. They just released the new XM5 earbuds not that long ago. But they don't have the <laughs> PlayStation Link audio technology that lets you get lossless audio and low latency audio, which, of course, is important for gaming. But I, I think people use Bluetooth headphones with their Steam decks and whatnot. Yeah, you can pair Bluetooth headphones to a Switch. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. But yeah, Sony has said, no, you will use our headphones, these specific PlayStation headphones, or you won't use anything at all, I guess. But the reason why this is my fault is I take a look at my desk, at the table that I have sitting uh, next to my couch in my living room, and there's a lot of gamer <laughs> headsets on there that cost way too much money, and I've just bought too many of them. How how many does one person need? More. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Vergecast, everybody. Like there's there's always another one. There's always a new feature. There's always there's always something else. You know there's always you know what? I think the reason why I lost that match is because my headset wasn't good enough. Oh uh, yeah. Mm. Which it it just it's it's logical. It makes sense. If you'd been able to hear them sneaking up on you in spatial audio, you would have you would have gotten. I got you. you I understand. Can I can I say the most old man thing about gamer headsets? Yeah. So I mostly only play online games with my actual friends, and we have all discovered that it's easier to make speakerphone calls on our phones than to fuck with headsets. So I just have my phone with FaceTime audio on a conference call, just like on my on the coffee table. It works so much better than gamer headsets. But that's only because you guys can't figure out Discord. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was just going to say, you just described the whole origin story of Discord. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Which is a bunch of nerds on TeamSpeak and conference calls trying to make this stuff work. Like I'm saying, if I can avoid software in my life, I do it. And that that's my solve. Anyway, continue, Richard, with your <laughs> headphone purchasing odyssey. Yes. I convinced Sony that this was a good idea because they saw how many headsets I bought and they said, we can sell headsets to idiots all day. This is just money that we're missing. We need to have more audio gear for gamers. The other part is they introduced this handheld. Why is this my fault? Do you know how many Switches I've purchased? <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> An almost untold number. I do not play the Nintendo Switch. I do Why not do you, it, have one. I've, I bought them for other people. My wife has two. Okay. I, I bought her one, then I bought a Switch OLED, and I thought that I would get one of them, but it turns out that she has two Nintendo Switches now. <laughs> That's cool. And I think there are a lot of people like that where, like, they have multiple ones. They have one for this room. They have one for that room. They have one to take on the go. And that's what play, what Sony is chasing with this device, I think, is that you've got a PlayStation and you want to play it in another room and you don't have a briefcase TV because you didn't buy the $2,000 briefcase TV. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Are you just going to play games on your iPad like a normal? It makes sense for lots of, like, families, right? you got a PS5 downstairs. You might have it connected to the big TV, speakers, whatever. 
that is like, you don't want another PS5 and TV rig upstairs. Moving the games back and forth sucks. Like, here's this thing. You can just like go play it in your bedroom. You can just like give one to your teenager. They can play in the bedroom. That seems to make a lot of sense. Does it allow you to simultaneously play on the PS5 and remotely? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think it works like that. Yeah, that seems, I mean, that's the miss. Yeah, so th- this is my thing with this device is like the one use case I-, I agree makes sense, right? Like there are times I want to play games sitting in bed or on the couch. Like my PlayStation is hooked up to the same monitor that I'm on right now on my computer. And there are other times I want to play games elsewhere. Moving my PlayStation is annoying. Completely get that. There are so many other things this thing could have done. Sony has game streaming that it could have done on the portal. Sony has some really cool old systems through which you can emulate old PlayStation games that it could have done on the portal. Sony could have done so many things that would have made this device cooler and better. It could have had streaming apps so you can watch movies and things when someone else is on your PlayStation. There's just a million ways it could have gone, and it picked none of them except like the minimum viable least thing this device could possibly be and that just kind of drives me nuts yeah they picked the things that didn't require a processor right i mean that's like kind of what it feels like they made it as cheap as possible but limiting the amount of local processing that is happening here and saying all of that's going to happen on your ps5 i will say the the only case in which that argument holds is if the battery life is as good as supposedly it might be and i think Sony said to CNET, I think that the plan is to have the battery last as long as the DualSense controller, which is like eight or nine hours. That's pretty good. If I can sit there and play games on it for eight hours on a charge, like that's legit. It's still not enough. I still, I would trade two hours of that battery life for more things to do, but it's something. Yeah. I I would also point out, right, in one of the use cases here, what are you doing? You're on a trip, you're in a hotel room. You want to play your PS5 at home. Your hotel has reasonably good Wi-Fi. You need, what, 15 megabits? That's the that's sort of the recommended speed. You can get that in a lot of hotels nowadays. Great. You're playing. You know what you can also do is just bring a DualSense controller along and open the app on your iPad. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe not as seamless, but it also just, like, I have friends who just, like, do this all the time. Yeah, it works. Like, it really, it's a it's a totally valid gaming system like that's what i do right now in my house and i have always thought that like some when like when they first announced this as the project q i was like okay add a add a switchy thing to my playstation rig and i'm golden this solves all my problems this now just is like a slightly less wonky version of the system i already have no they they didn't build a switch they built the wii u which um yeah was not popular so that's not (laughs) a great sign but i think the thing that's happens from Sony's perspective is that, yeah, sure, you could just hook up your DualSense to an iPad and play that way, but then you wouldn't pay Sony $200, <laughs> That's which true. makes it less good from for them. And they don't want to do more cloud streaming or anything because that would encourage you to buy fewer PS5s, and they don't want to do that either. It's true. You can, you can also just do what I do, which is I bought a second power cable and a second HDMI cord, and I set them up in the oh, that's sunroom where there's a projector and I just move my PS5 around. And well, literally the only inconvenience of that is I have to remember to turn it off all the way. It will scream yeah. at you if you do not do that. Oh, it does that awful. It, does, yeah, it doesn't like it. No. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I move my PS5 from the basement to the outside to play Madden on the, on the projector all the time. It's fine. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, that's, that's what my Series S is for. It's my, when I want to play Xbox somewhere else. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> 
I love how Richard has just multiples of every console. There's an Excel spreadsheet at both Microsoft and Sony. It's just labeled like Lawler margins. <laughs> no, uh, you can pretty much predict what products people are going to come out by what I have six of. Uh, because they're, they're going to release more of those very soon. I think the other thing is that this signals that there's going to be another PS5 uh, pretty soon. Yeah. We've, we saw yeah. that the shell slim. leak of the slim, thick, whatever it is. The slim, but thick. If, if you look at it, you can see that they've released these audio gear that doesn't work with the PS5 without a USB dongle, which, um, you know, we love the dongles. They don't. Yeah. They're going to need to release the system with that. They're going to do something. So we'll maybe have more clarity early next year, mid next year, when we, when we get another PS5 and see how it all works together. All right, this means we now have to talk about PlayStation Link. This is ridiculous that it doesn't have Bluetooth. It's yes. ridiculous that these headphones are so expensive, don't work with the existing PS5, and Sony's claim is, what, just lower latency? Yeah, that, that's about it. Something, something higher audio quality, too, and they claim it's easier to switch between devices, which is funny because one of the things that Sony's headphones are notoriously not great at is switching between devices. Yep. Uh, so I don't know that I have a ton of faith in that, which is a thing you can do over Bluetooth and Sony does poorly. But yeah, in theory, there are like, they have a list of reasons and I don't find a single one of them compelling. And I, I think PlayStation Link as a thing is just like totally outrageous. I mean, this is the sort of thing, and uh, Mark has finally made a video about this. This is the sort of thing that if Apple did it with the iPhone, like I would lose my mind. Like I accused yeah. Apple of wanting to do this when they released the AirPods and they took yeah. the headphone jack off the iPhone, right? Like we're going to get everyone used to wireless audio. Then we're going to build a proprietary wireless audio protocol and you can only use our headphones. And this is true in phones like all over the place. And I will say a not small portion of that Apple has done. Right. And so is Google and so is Samsung. Yeah. Everyone's phones now, they've all taken the headphone jacks away and they have Bluetooth and then they have Bluetooth plus proprietary extensions that only their headphones can use. So the AirPods, obviously bunch of features only AirPods can access on an iPhone. If you have a Samsung phone, there's a bunch of features that Samsung buds can do. If you have a Pixel, the Pixel buds have custom extensions. That's all shitty over there. But the reality is like, most of those features aren't very good. <laughs> like, oh no, spatial audio. Like, whatever. Also, I don't I don't necessarily hate that as a thing. Like to to say we support the standards, right? Like it's it's what Apple does with iMessage too. They're like, if you want to send SMSs, that's fine. We'll support it. It works. But if you wanna exist in our system, everything is better. And like, do I wish the world was not that way? Yes. But like that's how it is, and that's roughly fine as long as you're in a position where you can still fail sort of gracefully. This is like if Apple had just said no more SMSs ever. Well, so it, the, the, the PlayStation portal does have a 3.5 millimeter headphone track, which presumably has low latency. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's we It doesn't have the middle thing. Right. It doesn't have Bluetooth. So it, if you wanted to, you could get one of those like AirPods Bluetooth dongles that you use on an airplane seat back and plug that into your PlayStation portal and then pair your AirPods to that. I, you know, we're going to make Sean Hollister make that video one day. Mm -hmm. I can see it coming like a train in the night, but it is like, it's weird that you would build wireless radios that support your proprietary thing. You would have a headphone jack and then not the most common thing. But it isn't weird. It's the most classic Sony thing ever making a weird proprietary thing. That doesn't yeah. work with anyone else's stuff. The The problem that you point out is that it doesn't work with their own headphones. Like, yeah. I, I have a bunch of XM headphones here and none of them have it. Why Why is that? Like, you get the feeling, you know, I, I love talking about an org chart. You get the feeling that when, like, people walk into the Sony office, 
it's it's a little bit like memento like they're just constantly introducing themselves to each other like oh you work on headphones I don't know. We did headphones here. <laughs> we make headphones. <laughs> you know, it's like no one knows who the boom uh, speaker guy is. Yeah, they're like, oh, we do. We do playstations. We should <laughs> maybe the, the one party speaker guy is just in the back, just jamming <laughs> yeah, the whole time. He's just like livid. <laughs> he's like super bass, you know. And like the mega bass team is like, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> like that's just Sony all the time. True. Well, and the PlayStation team seems to be especially that way. Like the, yeah. the PlayStation team seems to uh, not have to play by any of the other Sony rules and just kind of does whatever it wants at all times. Yeah. The Memento comparison, I think, is a little dark. It's more like Dory in Finding Nemo. (laughs) (laughs) Every time it turns around, it's like, who are you? Like, I don't think everyone at Sony is heavily tattooed and trying to solve a murder. That would at least, I think, give them a little more purpose. This is much more like, hello, who who are you? (laughs) You seem nice. Yeah. (laughs) That was the Phil Harrison Sony. That was a few generations ago. There's actually a lot of other gaming stuff going on. Qualcomm has sort of a portable device. We've described it as a battering. The Quest 3, which we're expecting to see at MetaConnect, is leaked out. People are unboxing it. There's a new Atari 2600, which is very good. Uh, Samsung TVs are getting cloud gaming. There's just like a, kind of a lot going on. I think the the Qualcomm thing to me is the most exciting, which is basically like Qualcomm is making a big bet on handheld gaming as a thing. And this is kind of what Qualcomm does, right? They sort of look around and they say, okay, we really only know how to make one thing. <laughs> what other industry can we make it for? And they've like they've done this with cars. They got really into wearables. They got super into headphones for a while. And now the thing that they're trying to figure out is how to do like custom chips for gaming handhelds. And so they, they came out with three different like tiers of chips. There's the G1, the G2, and the G3X Gen 2, which basically ladder all the way up from like, as far as I can tell, basically like a phone level thing to like a Steam Deck level thing. And I just think that's awesome. Like the there are lots of problems with this, starting with the fact that they run Android and there aren't that many good games for Android. The game gaming ecosystem is not that great. But game streaming is going to help solve some of that problem. And so like the idea that we might be about to get a run of different versions of these devices because they're going to get easier and cheaper to make and source parts for, I think is super exciting. I don't know that I love the idea that they should all look like a screen in the middle with two halves of a controller on either side. But that seems to be where we're aligning as a world on what these things are supposed to look like. But I don't know, Richard, are you going to end up buying 15 different versions of handheld gaming consoles? Like, I'm excited about this thing. I'm not 100% sure why all the time, but I am excited about it. No. Uh, they predict that you'll go outside, that you'll use them places, and I don't touch grass. So, no, not, not, not going to do it. Listen, if you use all your Nintendo Switches indoors, you can use these indoors also. But yeah. I don't play the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Let's get your wife on here. What does she think? Okay, she she might have a few. All right, so we have long asked for emails from people who buy Android phones to play games, pro gaming phones, the potential customers of the Razer Edge or this Qualcomm thing. I'm I'm just looking. I, I just searched the Verge box for Android gaming. This one is spam. Uh, this leaves us with six emails, one of which is not about gaming at all on Android. Uh, but I'll just read some. I, this one starts out with, I do not own an Android gaming phone. So you can see what this call for reader feedback is, is like. Uh, but they own an Android gaming handheld called the Pimax Portal. I bought it specifically for one game, Genshin Impact, so I could play it on the go. I wanted to be able to play it with a controller, which is not supported on Android, but does on iOS. It works okay, but you can get controllers to press the virtual buttons. So that's, this is like, this is why people buy Android gaming devices. Like, I want to play one game that supports controllers on 
one platform and not another. And this thing, let me do it. This person actually bought a Razer Edge. This is a quote. There are a few games optimized for controllers on Android. Most are pretty good. I use the Edge to emulate games. I definitely own in other forms. Definitely emulators up to PS2, 3DS, and Switch. And then this is a very important line. I'm one of the people who have more fun getting something to work than actually having the thing, which is after my own heart. I am absolutely that person. These are our people. And then he finishes with, this explains why the next thing I bought was an ROG ally. (laughs) Fair. Emulators are, are not a small piece of this though. I think like the, the deeper I get into this world, the more I realize there is like a vast ecosystem of weird ways to play games that are at least 20 years old all over Android, especially. And I think that's very cool. Yep. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're due for like what happened with Android tablets, right? Like everybody's going to beg Google to care about this and push things along and make them try new things. And then Google will be like, we think Android gaming is the future. And then eight years from now, we'll be somewhere. Yeah. We got one last one. This person likes to play free to play games on their phone. He says, I've had legitimately rewarding gaming experiences on mobile, especially puzzle games like Fair Little Nightmares, where Shadow Stumbler and Monument Valley... And then they finish by saying, I live in Minnesota and anyone who says water is a good windshield fluid is a monster, which is an important callback to our other (laughs) reader feedback. But I just want to point this out. Like we have been asking on the show, if you are a hardcore Android gamer, let us know. And this is a pretty good gestalt of what the responses have been like. I'm a big nerd and I like to tinker, which again, you were listening to the right podcast. We love you here. I want to play one game and solve one problem, and Android helps me solve that problem very directly. That is just straight Android stuff. Like, iOS is not like, we want to help you solve a problem that you've made up. iOS is like, welcome to our world, right? Like, we've issued you a blazer. Um, Android's like, whatever you want. And so, like, that makes sense. And then the third one is like, um, I'm able to do things over here with emulators. I wasn't able to do some else. That all makes sense. Yeah. But there's not the, I don't think there's a culture of, like, with gaming PCs, right? There's like, gaming PC culture, the Razer Edge does not have that kind of culture around it. I think the Steam Deck is getting there, but that feels like a whole different kind of thing. Well, there has to be two sides to it because you have to have the culture and you also have to have the working business model. And the problem for Android gaming is that you don't really have a business model that makes someone make a great game for Android. So the best game that you can play on your Android gaming device is a 15-year-old PlayStation game. Yeah. Which is fun. Great for you if you have one. It's just not like there's no business in that. Well, they're about to release all the remasters, the Metal Gear games. And boy, are they going to get that money for me again. <laughs> they're super yes. going to get that money for me again. Let's end by uh, switching gears a little bit. It, it, we've talked about football season a bunch uh, already on the show. It's coming. So it's just a couple weeks away here. And the tech platforms that are invested in football are starting to, to do stuff. So NFL Sunday Ticket, obviously, is a big YouTube deal. They're doing pricing promotions for college students, which is a Sunday Ticket mainstay lying to the NFL about where you live to get cheaper Sunday ticket. I think a cultural phenomenon underreported, <laughs> but you can do it. it. And it's getting more integrated into the Google TV home screen. And then Amazon is like, you know, we had the CEO of AWS on Decoder a couple weeks ago. And he was like, we advertise in the NFL because it shows off the capabilities and the decision makers of big companies like know who we are. Which is, I always wonder, like, if you're in the market for AWS, why do you need to know about it? How do you not know about it? (laughs) The IBM Super Bowl ad. And it turns out, like, a lot of people don't know about it. And, like, next-gen stats powered by AWS makes it easier for people to go to their boss and say, we would like to work with AWS. Incredible. 
Incredible that that is still the case in 2023, um, but they are rolling out an awful lot of additional next-gen stats on Thursday Night Football. Yeah, I spent uh, some time earlier this week with some of the folks working on this stuff, and it's super interesting to hear them talk about it because, like, we're all football fans. And the thing that we know as football fans is that uh, if you in any way mess with football— people freak out yep like anything where like if you if you move the camera angle that it's at when they snap the ball people freak out oh yeah if you, the scoreboard display yeah exactly like if it was if it's up here versus down at the bottom of the screen people have really strong opinions like it's it's that stuff matters to people and if there is one media property on the planet that you don't mess with in general, for lots of reasons right now <laughs> it's the NFL but now Amazon like they did Thursday Night Football last year it went pretty well they didn't have any like huge disastrous errors. Ryan Fitzpatrick wore like a lot of weird shirts <laughs> during the halftime shows, but like it was fine. And so this year, Amazon is like, okay, we have some confidence, and we we know we can do this. The numbers were pretty big last year. They weren't as big as linear TV numbers have typically been for Thursday night football, but they were bigger than everybody expected for streaming. And so they're like, okay, what wild new stuff can we do? And they've invented some genuinely cool stuff. We'll see if it works in actual you know, live games, but in the stuff they've been testing, like they have a thing, they call it defensive alerts where, uh, it'll actually on screen in real time flag players. It thinks are likely to blitz. Uh, and the idea is it essentially teaches the viewer how to read the field like a quarterback does. So you see a player's, uh, body language or how they move before the snap or what they're saying to each other. And it'll actually register like this player is likely to blitz, keep an eye on them. So it's like, it's a cool way to watch, but also invites you like into the strategy of the game. And again, I suspect we're going to see this go really haywire a lot of ways yeah. in the way that all of these large language model systems go haywire, which is going to be deeply hilarious, but it's a cool idea. And as like a kind of stat nerd on top of just liking watching football, it's going to be super fun. I'm kind of into it. But the danger is that you build Fox tracks. Which we all, which we remember for the wrong reasons, which is how much people hated it. First of all, they were right. The puck is hard to see on TV, or at least it was back before <laughs> yes. high definition. No, it was the right thing. They, sh yeah, Fox should have stuck that out. Maybe not the right application, but they they were correct. They they identified the problem and they dealt with it, uh, help helping you follow the puck around during NHL games. But as you said, m messing with football. People have been watching football their whole lives. They know how to watch football. They've decided how they want to watch football. Again, I do not watch the Lions anymore because I like to have happy Sundays filled with joy and mirth. <laughs> but if I did watch Just the Lions... wandering the streets, going to bar after bar. <laughs> and my TV told me which blitzer the Lions quarterback is not seeing coming. Because of course he isn't. Because he plays for the Lions. So he sucks. He's not going to re make the correct read. This Every rough. single time. I would... I would stop watching Lions games again. So, I, I don't know. This might not work. So what you're saying is knowledge is knowledge is rage in this in this case. But here's what I'll say. Amazon, last season with Thursday Night Football, Amazon had the worst games in NFL history. Like, yeah. some of the worst games I have ever seen. And, like, maybe that's luck and maybe that's scheduling. Who knows? They were all, like, uniform. Like, the broadcasters were like, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> Al Michaels is like, I'm, like, you know, audibly opening his flask, just trying to get through it. You can hear them, like, swiping on FanDuel themselves, like, looking uh -huh. for prop bets to talk about. Like, and so, like, just, maybe all this stuff just makes that stuff slightly more interesting to watch if you're not betting on the outcome of the game, which is 
currently why people watch NFL games to the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing that was not in Amazon's plans that I expected were uh, fantasy or gambling. Because, I mean, that's the two places everybody's going, right? Like you watch football either because you have a fantasy team or you have bets on it. And like ESPN is now into betting, which we've talked about. Like that is where all of this is headed and it's where all the money is. And Amazon it's a long deal. It has like 10 more years of Thursday night football to do. I suspect we'll get there, but yeah. none of that yet. 10 more years of bottom of the barrel teams kind of not scoring any points. Oh, uh, and he- wait, before, before we go, we should take a break and stop talking about football, but the it's not in 4k. And I, I mentioned twice in the story that I wrote about it, that it's not in 4k, which was just little tiny nods to Neil Patel. That's each me. Time. They failed. How, how angry are you that it's not in 4k? So they are all doing this thing where they all promise that they have invested in 4K delivery. So like the cameras are 4K now. The cameras are actually higher resolution because they like being able to punch in. And they're like HD. Which is why they like the twice a game they show that thing where you get like the tons of bokeh on the shot and everybody's like, this is amazing. It's <laughs> like, yeah, they could do that the whole game. It'd be amazing. Well, no, so those ones are that's actually that's something different. That that shot, they've started using basically prosumer level DSLRs. And this was like a whole invention, like, oh, my God, like NFL broadcast teams are using Sony A7R2s. Like, <laughs> great. And and people got lost their minds and thought it was AK. And we all had to be like, no, those are Sony A7s. Like, that's every YouTuber has this camera. Fair enough. But they're already shooting at higher resolution because they like to be able to zoom. Right. Um, and they shoot those pretty crisply. So they've built these like 4K HDR workflows. And then to go out to all of their additional partners who are not 4K enabled, they bring it down to 1080p. And then, you know, your Fox, you then re-upscale it to 4K at the at delivery, which is insanity, right? It's like, it's so frustrating. And they have all landed on this line that says, we're going to do HDR because people, that's what people can see. And I'm like, you are nuts. <laughs> like, <laughs> what people can see is more detail. If you're like, look at how much brighter it is, I, I believe you, right? People are... Every year, Marquez does the photo comparison uh, bracket, and every year, the brightest photos win, regardless of quality. Like, I believe you that people can see brighter stuff, but in the context of an NFL football game, there is actually so little dynamic variation because the whole field is awash in lights. There are no dark parts of an NFL football game. They do that on purpose. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're trying very hard to make everything bright regardless. Even in the, the like promo material that Amazon has for this, the thing that is the most different between SDR and HDR is the sky. Yeah. And it's like, fine. Like how many, (laughs) for the four establishing shots that they do every game of like the city that they're in, it'll look great. But I don't know what this gets me for football. Yeah, it's just, it's it's bananas to me, especially because Amazon owns it end-to-end, right? It's their broadcast, their distribution, their app. They should be, they should at least be able to do it, and they, they still haven't. Fox still hasn't done it. It's been years now since we've been dunking on Fox for not doing it. CBS, God bless them, they were, at least they're at 1080p, whereas Fox is at 720 and ESPN is at 720. Like, that's horrible. But they've all adopted this middle ground of HD, HDR instead of... QHD HDR, which is crazy. It's like horrible. Like, just stop it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's especially galling because everywhere else in the world, like the Premier League is in just full, like, you can just get it in f- true 4K across England. You know who has the Premier League in England? Is it NBC? Amazon Prime Video. Is it Amazon Prime Video? <laughs> it is Amazon Prime Video. I, th- I thought NBC had it. 
It's a it's a mix, but Amazon streams it. Of course, right? And it's in true 4K. In Japan, every year that the Olympics come out and NHK in Japan is like, we're doing a test, a first ever test. And last year it was like a first ever test of native over the air 8K broadcast, <laughs> which just worked. And like next year, like 24K native over the air broadcast. And we're here with 1080p HDR. This is why David didn't bring it up. And I'm going to stop now. What are they doing? These are the most lucrative sports rights in America. Just do it. Neil Mohan, if you're listening to me, man who runs YouTube, I've sent him this email. Why won't YouTube just pay to do this in 4K? I will pay them more money. And he was like, that's a, that's a good idea. That's as far as I've gotten. I'm doing the Lord's that's work. That's a good right. idea. We're the Detroit Lions of resolution. <laughs> Richard, the Lions are good now. I'm totally over it. It's fine. They, they haven't hurt me. We'll talk about that while we're at break. Fly hard. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. All right, we're back. Is this a lightning round? Is that what this is going to be? We're already over. Yeah. We're going to do this one fast because because you you specifically, Neelai, look at me. <laughs> the thing you picked for the lightning round. This was assigned to me. I, that's true. I picked it for you because you wrote about it for the website. I feel the urge to like set a timer that like lights your house on fire after several minutes. All right. I'll just do this. Okay. So it was... So you might remember our friend AI Drake. Can we get a little laser bong? It's a laser bong. It's a bong. There are lasers. AI Drake is an existential threat to the music labels, to YouTube, to everyone, because you cannot copyright a voice. Can't do it. That's And if you want to do likenesses and publicity, that's state law. There's no federal law. So Google this week announced a deal with Universal Music Group, which represents Drake and The Weeknd, saying we're going to figure out some sort of something, something or the other. We're going to have a, a 
a working group called the YouTube AI Music Console. Like Frank Sinatra's children will be in it. Ryan Tedder from One Republic. He can always be drafted into making consequential music. It's going to be fine. Uh, so they have a council. Like figure out some AI stuff that's good. And then this line. We will figure out how to expand content ID to cover generated music. YouTube content ID is not a perfect system. It is necessary for YouTube to exist. So YouTube in the early days, right, full of like South Park clips that were unlicensed. Viacom sues YouTube. This is existential. YouTube full of pirated music uh, or music without licenses. Parents are uploading videos of their kids dancing to Prince. You can't sue YouTube. Section 230, so that labels sue the parents for posting videos of their kids dancing to Prince. This is a real case. I went to the appellate courts in this country for that to be ruled fair use. Banana situation. So YouTube, over many years, has built this system called Content ID, which I promise you, most kids in this country think is the law. This like automated content identification system that only operates on YouTube like whenever you see YouTubers thinking about copyright law, they are not actually thinking about copyright law. They're thinking about YouTube's system that it built to enable itself to exist in the face of existential copyright threats. Which is not a crazy assertion. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it is the law. Like, yeah, it's the it's the thing that it, it's the enforcement mechanism of the platform that pays a lot of people their money. Sure, it it is close to law, and it has a relationship to the law, which is really important, right? If you are ever in the middle of a content ID dispute, if you make a piece of film criticism, we were talking about this last week, if you make a piece of film criticism and it gets flagged by content ID and a studio gets a hold of it and they say, take this down, it's not fair use, YouTube doesn't step in to say, no, we think it is. YouTube says, well, you guys talk to each other. And then after a minute of that, it says, well, you, you should go to court. <laughs> like that's And let like, us know how it goes. Yeah, basically, like, let us know how it goes. Like, whatever. Because it has the whole legal system to fall back on. Because fair use for that kind of stuff is like well within the law. What they're going to do with universal music, I promise you this will happen, is one, next year at Google I.O., we'll get a video of Ryan Tedder being like, make me some beats. And then like Google Pard making a beat. And Ryan will be like, this is great for creativity. That video is coming. 100% coming. And then next to it, content ID will be expanded so that if you are using the AI-generated voice of Drake in a song, Universal Music Group can push a button and take that video down or monetize it for themselves. I guarantee you this is where they're going. That second point, I think, is is the one, right? Because if I, what Universal is going to say is like, we... We don't want to pick this fight. We just want to make the money off of it, right? Like it's if Universal and the other labels can play this correctly, it's all upside. Like they've just infinitely scaled the amount of Drake music there can be in the world <laughs> and they'll get paid for all of it, right? Like maybe. So we don't know what the rates are going to be. Right. They they just they've just said it enough to suggest this is what they're going to do. They haven't yeah. done it yet. We don't know the details. But, you know, they put out blog posts. One was Neil Mohan and the other one was Lucian Grange, the CEO of Universal. And they put out like paired blog posts on the YouTube blog. And they also sound very proud of themselves. You can just see that this is what they're after, right? If you train a bunch of AIs on Drake and then it can rap like Drake, Universal's like, you should pay us. And I, I, I think a lot of people say, okay, common sense, that makes sense. The flip side of that is that is not anywhere in the law. So if you get that notice from YouTube that says Content ID has flagged fake Drake, we flagged Laser Bong, take it down or blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, I disagree. And they're like, go to court. And you show up in a court and the court's going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so like that out doesn't exist. So then YouTube has to make decisions and it's going to be like you, Drake, 
Universal Music Group and YouTube, and I just feel like I know who's definitely going to lose. I don't know who's going to win, but I know who loses in that situation. I also know that Content ID notoriously overzealous, right? It's too protective of copyright material on YouTube. YouTubers know this. Our own audience, uh, we got some emails last week after we talked about it. They know that the YouTubers are all trying to dance around it to just do film criticism. What happens when it's just a kid trying to rap like Drake? No AI, just an impersonator of Drake. Do they get taken down? Like, there's no law that distinguishes that. There's no AI system that can reliably, at 100% success rate, distinguish between AI Drake and a kid who just is really good at sounding like Drake. Who's going to lose that one? I don't know the answers to this. But I do know that in order to keep YouTube going, and in particular competitive with TikTok, which has huge influence for the music industry, Google has to like invent some kind of additional licensing scheme for the labels. The labels are going to get paid for this, or they're going to take their music away, and Google can't have that. Right. Yeah, it's, I mean, I was trying to think about this after you wrote this story, and the number of industries out there that have this kind of leverage over YouTube, I think is just one. It's just music. Like, if 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 the movie industry decided it hated YouTube, that would be bad, but not, like, crush the creator economy bad. But if you suddenly lose access to music for creators to do stuff in shorts like there goes shorts it's yep. done kill no that more dances on shorts it's all done youtube music goes away a huge percentage of youtube's views are music videos like there's literally the mr beast just set a record for the most views in 24 hours for a non-music video like that is a that is that is how big music videos are and i think it's pretty clear that the music industry knows yeah. it is this powerful over YouTube. They definitely know. And so you can just see what YouTube is forced to do. A couple of blog posts saying we're all friends. Here's the AI council. We're going to build some tools together. Ryan Tedder, get in here. You know, just do some Ryan. You, you'll, you'll do anything for money. I, what do you, what do you have against Ryan Tedder? I just don't like one Are you just like mad that he's wrote so many good songs? Is that what it is? Is it? Is that, is that how you describe them? Someone today described the new Addison Ray record to me as uh, like the return of the Kia commercial music. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just like that's where we are in music history. The hamsters? Yeah. That's it's it sounds like royalty-free car commercial music. <laughs> like a lot of music sounds like royalty-free car commercial music right now. Yeah, and it's all because Ryan Tedder invented it. So you're welcome. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's he's an innovator. He's right up there with Slash. <laughs> exactly. Eddie Van Halen slash Ryan Tedder. That's the Pantheon. Of rock music. Anyhow, you, but you can see what they're doing with, with the music industry, right? They're making nice, they're going to find ways to work together, and they're going to invent a revenue stream for them. The flip side of that with Google in particular is Google is looking at the whole web. No one has leverage over Google when it comes to the web. And they're saying, oh, this is ours now. And so if you allow Google search crawlers to look at your website, you are training Bard. And, there's, and you are training the search generative experience. And there's fundamentally zero difference between I'm going to hoover up all the songs in the world to make a Frank Sinatra AI, and I'm going to hoover up all of the articles about bikes to make the search generative experience answer questions about bikes. That is, the, It's the same thing. And Google, on the one hand, is saying, okay, these this partner is important. So we got to build custom copyright private law on YouTube for them so they can get some money and be happy. And then to the entire rest of the internet, they're saying, if you want search traffic, we're taking your shit. And I, I like, you just, wa you're watching this play out in like absolutely bananas ways. And I think 
they're going to come around to signing some deals. I think OpenAI is going to come around to signing some deals. Uh, Google has some kind of deal with the New York Times. They won't talk about the terms. OpenAI has some kind of deal with the AP. They won't really talk about the terms. But you can just see, like, their choices are either a decade of fair use litigation. Some of these cases are already going from Sarah Silverman and others. Or we're going to pay the biggest and richest players to participate in our experiences and, like, compete that way. And all of that just feels like, oh, we're just kind of like getting back to AOL, right? Where like AOL had a bunch of media partners and you would like get AOL in there. And then there were like some forums that you could like also go to, or like you could dump out to the internet, you know, through AOL, but like really like AOL's media partners were the thing. And it just seems like that's where everyone is going because to solve the AI training copyright problem, you're either betting on a decade of litigation with our current court system. I'm going to make a multi-billion dollar bet on how Clarence Thomas feels in five years. Woof. Or you can pay a bunch of money to the New York Times. And I'm just watching this play out and it's like, oh, this is all kind of icky. Like, it's important to take a step back and just be like, this is what's happening. Like, copyright law is so broken and weird that on the one hand, the estate of Frank Sinatra gets paid whenever there's a Frank Sinatra impersonator on YouTube. Weird. And on the other hand, most websites have to give all their shit to Google for free or basically commit suicide by not getting any search traffic. Weird. And either way, anybody who doesn't have the sway to pick and win that fight gets host. Like if you're a, if you're an independent artist, Google's not signing that deal with you for YouTube and isn't signing that deal with you for SGE. And you just have to bank on the fact that that what it supposedly delivers you is worth it. But anyway, Neil, you went about six times longer than you were supposed to Sorry. on that one. So I can keep going. No, listen, if this were <laughs> banana surgery, I would say you can have as long as you want. The but. whole hour next week is banana surgery. <laughs> uh, I'll go next. Mine's quick. And then Richard, you, you can go last. Mine is just mostly a, a shout out to my father-in-law, who I think was the last subscriber to DVD.com. Nice. Which is what Netflix's DVD system uh, has been called for the last bunch of years. And obviously DVD.com is going out of business. And PSA to anyone who has DVD.com, Netflix is both sending out a bunch of random DVDs. It just seems to have like a warehouse full that it's just shipping to its subscribers. Uh, and anything you have when the system goes away, you get to keep. So uh, I told this to my father-in-law over the weekend, and without one word, he ran into their computer room, which they have, nice. sat down and managed his queue to put all his favorite movies at the top. Because he's like, okay, now I'm going to get a bunch, and the system is going to think these are the movies I want to watch, so maybe they'll ship them to me at the end. So if you have DVD.com, now is now is your time. You're going to get a bunch of free movies. It says DVD.com ship Blu-rays. I got I to I go. This show's I'm over. just saying. This I, is I got the some time. work to do. I'm here for you. And there's so much. There's so much stuff that has never been released digitally that you can't get streaming video on demand anywhere, and it's just on disc. And it's, it's a pretty good chance to get it. Like, take your five favorite movies between now and September 29th that are probably never going to come to streaming. Make it happen. Pump up the volume. There you go. It's never coming. The music rights are too hard. Yeah. All right. Well, now we've lost Neli to his DVD queue. So, Richard, what do you have? The only thing that any of us should be talking about. Uh, Samsung release or Samsung has announced a price and a release window for their 57 inch dual UHD gaming monitor. I'm assuming you have like four or five of these already. I am looking at an Odyssey G9 monitor right now, the 49 inch <laughs> one, which I feel like many people think that is too much to have essentially like you know, two 1440p displays. People are saying as that, yeah. one. People say that giant curved display that takes up most of your room. 
I now feel like it's too little because they you can get a 57 inch that is like two 4K displays in one giant curved screen. And in the U.S., uh, it'll be available in October for about twenty five hundred bucks. Um, yeah, I need that. Steal at any price, man. Yeah. The bad news is, you know, having had the G9, it's not great for gaming. Like you think that like you can play games, it's going to wrap around you and you'll feel very immersed. Basically, no games support uh, 32 by 9 uh, aspect ratio. Surprise. <laughs> Which, you know, <laughs> one guessed that, that they would favorite. spend a lot of time developing for this aspect <laughs> ratio that no one uses. And the games either stretch in bad ways or they just take up the middle of the screen and other stuff like that. So it's not great for gaming, but like if you, I don't know, maybe run news for a website and you have a billion tabs open... You can just you can just ha- you can have all the tabs. You can have so many tabs on a fifty-seven inch screen. So I'm thinking game in the middle, Slack on the left, browser on the right, and you just yep, just crush the internet. You, you described my and head. fools all day. I love this. Twenty five hundred dollars actually is less than I thought this was going to cost, which is like an insane thing to say out loud. But I was pretty sure Samsung was going to be like, this thing is five grand. What are you going to do about it? Here's what I want you to do. If you watch the video where they introduce this thing, the monitor is Elysium. Like it's a spaceship flying over a city that's in the curved monitor. And I don't know that they watched Elysium because that, that truly implies that the monitor <laughs> has is a deeply inequitable class system. Well, it's not, it's not Elysium. It's, it's Halo. And when you visit the, the ring world in Halo, everything was fine, right? That's how that story <laughs> yeah. went. Yeah. In, I would just say in general, ring worlds, uh, not great. In fiction, <laughs> I'm getting one of these. Look, I got to kit out a new podcast here. We're moving. So we're getting a new hat. We got to figure it out. So I'm fully in the market for like gamer lights, crazy displays. This is going to be a good time. I think there, there's going to have to be a Vergecast series of Neelai doing his new podcast room. Just installing gamer lights. If you're an interior designer or have ideas about what Neelai needs to put in his new studio... Uh, email them to us, vergecastverge.com. We didn't talk about the gamer standing disc oh, from man. Corsair. This thing looks ridiculous. I love it. I love it. The only thing that would be better if it, if the top was a true patch bay with like like quarter inch plugs. This to me is like if you took the the r slash battle stations subreddit and like fed it into mid journey and then just said show me a desk. This is what it would spit out. <laughs> it's like it's got a bunch of monitor holders. It's got two different lights. There's speakers everywhere. It has a stream deck. It has a thousand different places to hang things. It loves a pegboard. It's got some controllers. It's like. It is just the perfect average of every insane gamer system you've ever seen. And then I mean that as a compliment. I'm kind of in love with this thing. And that's great. But like they invented a workbench and a pegboard. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's, we started the show with show us your your vintage computer rooms. And we're ending the show with like, there's a motorized standing desk with a pegboard. This is the new computer room. Like this all the, the old Office room. Max hutches have been replaced by yeah. sit stand desks and pegboards. I'm into it. Maybe I'll get, maybe this, I'm, I'm going to build my new podcast studio around this thing. There you go. No, I don't know if I'm going to do that. We'll see. I got to look at this more carefully. All right. We got to end the show. We're way over. This is for a show, a uh, slow news week. I don't even know how we, how we pulled this off. And there's like stuff we didn't even get to. For example, a full hour on Python and Excel <laughs> just didn't happen. One thing I want to call out. This is one of the funniest things that has happened to me today. Our friend, Ashley Carmen, Verge expat, 
now at Bloomberg, she's their podcast and music reporter at Bloomberg. She wrote a story about white noise podcasts on Spotify, of which there are many, and Spotify freaking out because their official like white noise license streams make more money than the podcast. So they're like, we have a $38 million white noise podcast problem, which is just the most capitalism thing. To be like, amazing. This white noise, if we move it from this bucket to that bucket, is $38 million, is ridiculous. Um, so our friend Charlie Harding, who you might know, is the creator of Laserbong, the show, uh, and co-host of Switched on Pop, uh, he made an entire series of white noise podcasts. We'll link them in the show notes. Now he's worth $700 million. My goal, and they all have ri- like just truly ridiculous names. Um, they're called Sonic Spectrum. They're all colors. He made chat GPT write the descriptions of them. Venture into the vastness of white noise, encompassing every frequency. Like It's all great. My goal is that we make this a real thing. We get some wellness blogs to cover it in a serious way. And if we can just get to the point where Aaron Rodgers is listening to Sonic Spectrum pregame because he loves crystal healing. I'll be very happy. Make this, this happen. Neil's end games always end with either Aaron Rodgers or Mariah Carey. Those are the two, the two long cons. <laughs> the Mariah Carey long con is very different. I got to upend my family for that one. This one is very direct. Just share Sonic Spectrum as much as you can and see if we can make it a thing. It's, I mean, it's, these descriptions are some of the funniest chat GPT should have ever read. And then it's just white noise. It's very good. We'll have a link in the show notes. There's a quick post on the site. Go check it out. It's a very, very funny. Okay, that's it. David, what's in, in this taller this week? Anything good? A bunch of good stuff, actually. The The PlayStation Portal will be in there. Spoiler alert. Uh, but I found a new app for organizing all your crap online, which I am, of course, deeply obsessed with. And there's a bunch of new, like creator stuff and youtube stuff and i found this was a surprisingly good week for like random things appearing on the internet so it's gonna be a good one i like it okay that's it that's rich cast rock and roll and that's a wrap for vergecast this week we'd love to hear from you shoot us an email at vergecast at theverge.com the vergecast is a production of the verge and the vox media podcast network the show is produced by me liam james and our senior audio director andrew marino Our editorial director is Brooke Minters. That's it. We'll see you next week. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.